Hello, food world. It's your favorite foodie friend, Robert Crutchfield from Crutchfield Cooks, here with episode one of Crutchfield Cooks, the podcast. Today, we're going to start off from the beginning with a subject that's a little tough. We're going to talk about something food-related that almost all of us can identify with immediately, and that's the high prices of food we've been dealing with for the last year, year and a half. Part of the thing with that is a lot of people have never really had the situation explained to them, at least not fully. So how do you deal with a situation that you don't completely understand? The answer is you pretty much don't. You just sort of blindly feel your way through getting all stressed out and confused and 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 then the prices go even higher and you still don't understand and it, it's just a problem that feeds on itself part of understanding what's going on with food prices right now is understanding that there's not one sim, sim, single cause that we could point our finger at and say this is the cause of the problem and if we just deal with this problem everything's going to be okay for instance the butter supply compared to last year is down 22%. So obviously, if the butter supply is down 22%, people haven't stopped using butter, the price is going to go up. In that case, the USDA is blaming the shortage on labor issues. Whereas corn is down 5%, for instance. But most of the problem with corn is the drought in the western and, and midwestern United States, which has nothing to do with the labor shortage that's making the price of butter go up. You also have the war in Ukraine. Well, what does the war in Ukraine matter? That's half a mile away. Well, Ukraine and to a lesser extent Russia are among the world's largest producers of potash. Potash is a major ingredient in agricultural fertilizer. Shortage of fertilizer, your crop yields go down. The war in Ukraine has nothing to do with the drought in the West or the labor shortage that's causing the price of butter to go up. So right there, you've got three different causes creating the same situation in varying degrees of combination. And that's why, especially for those, those of us who are just normal people trying to feed our families one week at a time, it's hard for us to understand what's going on because we can't look in any one direction. And just like we can't look in any one direction to understand the problem, the people that are trying to solve the problem can't look in one direction in order to provide a solution. So we're in a very frustrating situation. It's important to understand that it's okay to be frustrated. In a situation like we're in with food prices, our frustration is an 
absolutely normal reaction to an abnormal set of circumstances. And food has been going up a lot. Food over the last year has gone up, on average, about 12%. Some parts of the food world, particularly beef, for instance, or dairy products, are up upwards of 20%. I don't care how much you're bringing home on a weekly basis. A 20% increase in any of your expenses is a lot. It's going to hurt. And what's happening is not going to get better anytime soon. Now, there, there are hopeful signs on the horizon. The USDA, for instance, says that the 22-23 wheat crop will be substantially better than the wheat crop was in 21-22. But this assumes that the drought situation in the West gets better. If the drought situation in the West continues as it is now, at that projection, unfortunately, may not turn out to be true. So we have to keep our eyes out. There's a couple of things going on with beef prices in particular I want to talk about. First of all, it's estimated by the U.S. Department of Agriculture that 60% of the nation's cattle are affected by drought. And this has a variety of impacts. First of all, because of the drought, the forage, as it's called, or the grass in the fields that the cattle eat, is greatly diminished or in some parts of the country almost non-existent, which means that the ranchers are having to buy hay and alfalfa to feed their cattle because there's not enough grass to get the cattle to gain the weight that they need to gain in order to be ready to go to market. Well, hay and alfalfa is also going up in price. So that's a pressure on the farmers, and that's also a pressure on the beef we eat. But there's an interesting thing happening with beef right now. Ranchers are sending cattle to the processing plants in a historically high rate. In fact, in July of this year, more cattle were sent to the processing plants that are the intermediate step between the pasture and our plate than in any other single month since records were started to be kept in 1986. So what is happening is we've gotten a certain amount of relief from high, bright, high beef prices over the last couple of months because of this excess number of cattle moving to the processing plants. The downside of that long-term is that's going to shrink the size of our herds because the cattle being sent to the extra cattle, for lack of a better term, they're being sent to the processing plants, include a high number of breeding cattle. We're people of common sense and logic. If you send your breeding cattle to the processing plant and your breeding cattle become ribeye steaks next month, then obviously those cattle are not calving next spring, which is going to shrink the size of the beef herds 
even fur further, which is going to have upward pressure on the prices. The thing that gives us hope is that these upward pressures on food prices are not the only pressures involved. I myself have said elsewhere publicly over the last three months in particular that there seems to be an increasing amount of pushback on the part of consumers toward higher food prices. So there's a limit to how high prices can go in spite of all the other things I've just talked about. And there's that limit because what happens is after the prices get to a certain number, and that number is not, is not knowable, it's an unknown number. But once, once we start getting close to that unknown number, consumers are going to change their behavior. And there's a lot of indications out there right now that consumers are already starting to change their behavior. According to one recent survey, 85% of consumers are shopping based on looking for a lower price, which is 5% higher than the number a year ago. 53% of consumers, according to a different survey by Deloitte, say that the primary cause of shopping stress is prices. 46% are avoiding higher cost options and trading down to things like store brands. In fact, 38% of consumers are doing exactly that. They're trading back to store, down to store brands. And 46% stop purchasing high-end or non-essential items. So we still don't know what that number is exactly. But we can tell from statistics such as these that we're apparently getting very close. So what does all that mean? What that means, from what I have seen and from the people I've talked to, is that prices will probably keep going up overall for at least the next year. They probably won't go up as fast. And unfortunately, they'll probably go down very slowly. Because of the different challenges that I talked about before, it's going to be very hard for, for prices to come down. But it's also, because of consumer resistance, going to be very hard for prices to keep going up at the rate they've been going up. That's just not sustainable. The other thing we have to look at is, what can we do? Some of which we've already talked about. Certainly, like the other people, we can trade down from name brands to store brands. We can, especially if we shop at one particular store, we can be more attuned to that store's bargain cycle. Are they following the old traditional cycle where the sales paper comes out on Sunday and the sales stop on Wednesday? Which means we need to think about not shopping on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and shopping on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in order to get that store's better deals. Other stores, such as Kroger's, the one I'm most familiar with, have loyalty cards. The stores 
And Kroger, for that matter, operates under 15 different brand names around the country. So depending on where you are, you may want to look into that. But Kroger has what they call the plus card. You're not going to get Kroger's best deals unless you have that plus card. I used to work for them. I, I'm telling you, I know. You're just not going to get the best deals without that card. Another nice benefit of their card is that you get fuel points based on how much money you spend on, on groceries, which doesn't help you save money on groceries per se, but it does, does help your budget because it helps you put gas in your car a little more cheaply. And let's be honest. How are you going to get the groceries at the store unless you can put gas in the car to get from the house to the store? So it's all related. But there are other things you can do. A lot of stores, bakeries, have discount racks. Are you getting the best quality and the most freshest baked goods if you shop on the, on the bargain rack of the bakery? No, you're not. Some of it's going to be, some of it may only be a day old. But it's going to be a day or more old. It's something you're going to have to find out by trial and error as far as does it really bother you that it's a day old? If it doesn't really bother you that it's a day old, why not save a little money? The other thing is something I know from, from one of the things I did when I worked in the grocery space was I, I worked on the meat counter. And I know from working on the meat counter that when they date the food, that when they date the food, that date is somewhat based on science and that date is somewhat arbitrary. But a sell-by date is not an expiration date. That's thing one we need to understand. The other thing is just because it reaches this somewhat arbitrary sell-by date, does not mean the meat is bad. It might not be quite the same quality as the stuff that was just cut this morning and the few feet away, but that few feet can save you a lot of money because what happens is, as the, as the meat gets closer to that sell-by date, a lot of grocery stores, just like in their bakery department, will move the meat to a markdown section. That few feet can save you a lot of money because in my experience, when they move that meat from the regular case to the bargain case, we're not talking about 25 cents off. We're talking, they may cut the price by half. And you're talking about meat that may be just a hair worse quality than what you saw three, four, five, six feet away in the other case, it just happened to get cut day before yesterday instead of this morning. So you might want to check your local supermarket for a bargain section in the bakery and a bargain section, say, in the meat counter. As far as what we call shelf-stable foods, there's often a third bargain counter. And let me explain this for a minute. A shelf-stable food is something like canned vegetables, etc. It basically comes down to food that does not require refrigeration or special storage. A lot of 
grocery stores, like any other kind of store, have just a general clearance section. A lot of times you can find canned goods, other types of food in these clearance sections as well, mixed in with the general merchandise. The thing you want to look for there are the cans dented or the cans swollen. How recently have they passed the sell-by date, if they've even passed the sell-by date yet? And you could save a lot of money there. There are coupons, even in today's world. My mother growing up, I don't think she could have fed our family without coupons. You don't get double and triple coupon days like you did back in the day. But if you take a look at it, maybe if you get the right coupons, they might save you some. The other thing is, don't be deceived. Stores, including grocery stores, like putting things on end caps that drive their profit. So you might want to do things like pass up the name brand chips on the end cap and grab a bag of the store brand chips that are pretty much exactly the same in line for sometimes half the price. One of the best lessons my mother gave me years ago as far as buying groceries was that you can't just get excited just because they scream sale, sale, sale. So one of the best things you can do for yourself is just be aware of more or less what things cost. And it doesn't hurt when the sales circulars show up in the mail to compare what's going on at a couple of different stores in your area because one store's regular price might in fact be lower than another store's sale price. And you also have to look at the overall cost of things. How far is the store that has the lower price? Is that store that has the lower price your regular store or are you having to make a special trip for that one item? If you have to make a special trip for that one item, as far as your overall budget, you may not actually be saving any money. So just to kind of wrap up a little bit, there's a lot of reasons to believe that food prices are not going to go down anytime soon. In fact, they'll probably continue to go up, but not as fast. Another thing that I want you to remember is that just like there are strategies, there have always been, there are strategies you can use to lower your grocery bill. Some things right now are not working. One of the more traditional things people do, do when prices get high like this is they rely on things like potatoes, pasta, or rice. Well, right now, potatoes, pasta, and rice are not as cheap as they normally are. So they may not give you the relief that they normally would from high prices. Certainly right now, people are buying a lot less beef, which is going to help the process because even though the cost of raising beef is going up, consumers are not going to, they're going to resist prices of beef rising past a point. And it looks like they already are starting to do exactly that. So what you want to do is employ as many strategies as possible to help bring your personal grocery budget down while we ride out 
the variety of situations out there that is making it harder and more expensive to feed our families. That's about it for our first episode. I hope I've been able to give you some information that will be helpful to you. I certainly plan on bringing more information and, and episodes to come up. And I'm working on some very good guests that are going to be able to teach you and I both even more as we continue our journey to learn more, eat better. Till next time.